Welcome back to the present stage, Conversations with Theatre Writers. My name is Dan Rubens, and I'm a theatre critic, a composer, and an arts nonprofit leader. This is the first episode in which I have not one guest, but two, and my guests are two of the three co-authors of Titanic the Musical, currently running at the Daryl Roth Theatre. It was recently extended until January 7th, 2024. And my two guests are Ty Blue, who in addition to co-writing also directed Titanic, and Constantine Rizzuli, who in addition to co-writing also starred as Jack Dawson uh, until very recently, uh, along with his co-writer Marla Mandel, who co-starred as Celine Dion. Uh, And you'll hear more from Ty and Constantine in this episode about their collaboration and uh, about all of the shenanigans that go into Titanic. Um, So without further ado, here's me, here's Ty Blue, and here's Constantine Rizzuli talking about Titanic, une parodie musicale, if how it's officially billed, on the present stage. Enjoy! Ty Bluen, Constantine Rizzuli, thank you so much for joining me on the present stage. Thanks Hi. for having us. Having us. Uh, since we have multiple guests on the show, do you want to each introduce yourself just briefly and share your role on Titanic? Hit it, Ty. Hi, my name is Ty Blue. Um, I am one of three co-authors uh, on Titanic and uh, also the director along with uh, my friend here. Oh, hi, my name is Constantine Rasuli. I am also a co-author and I play Jack Dawson. And we are only missing from the writing team, Marla Mindell, who- Has passed, unfortunately. She passed. <laughs> yeah. yeah, she's no longer I'm with us. Sorry to hear oh, it, because it was Marla. an incredible performance as Celine Dion. Um, I love that both of our instincts were to say that she passed. <laughs> I know that's, that's been our ongoing joke for like 10 years. Like, Where's this person? I'm like, she passed. Um, well, uh, condolences aside, congratulations on <laughs> your uh, Lucille Lortel Award for Best Musical, as well as Marla's Posthumous Award for her Best uh, Leading Performer, and got a Costume Design Award, and you're also up for jointly best book of a musical for the Drama Desk and the Outer Critics Circle. So, congratulations on all of Thank the you. above. Thank you. Um, I wanted to start by talking about myself (laughs) and my experience with the show, um, which was that I, when I booked tickets, I had never seen the movie before. Um, So I watched it the morning of the show. Um, So I had just come from sobbing through the last hour or so. Um, And so it was a a very sudden mood shift, um, but was a really fascinating experience to have so much of the film very recently lodged in my brain. Um, so I'm curious, since there are so many sort of points of engagement for audience, whether that's the film or Celine Dion or Kung Fu Panda 2 or Drag Race <laughs> or whatever the case might be, sort of what's been your experience of sort of different audiences' entry points and sort of what the, um, how much do you feel like the show relies on sort of people's engagement with different aspects of it or and how much do you feel like the sort of storyline that you've created yourselves that sort of drives audiences through it. Um, well, you know, it's that's a very, very good question. I think it's a kind of complicated matrix of responses. You know, people come because they love the movie. 
but they also come because they love Celine. And I used to do like pre-show speeches and I would always say, who likes Titanic? Who likes Celine Dion? And I was always surprised to find that far more people would scream for her. So I think it's pretty clear that more people come because it's about her and her music and her personality. Um, but, you know, we've also laid the trap with this hyper queer, you know, very show busy, crazy fever dream plot that we've devised. And so people come for those two reasons and then they fall in love with the madness that we wrote. And so it just becomes a sort of like boom, 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 one, two, three, we get you. Yeah, it's kind of like a cherry on top. I mean, you'll either get a huge Celine fan or a huge Titanic fan. And then they're like, oh, my God, I'm now 1000 percent 100 on board as a Celine fan because yeah. <laughs> I'm a Titanic movie fan. And now, oh, my God, I, I have to go watch Titanic again because it just brought back all the feels and the nostalgia that I remember. So it's really fun to see them play off each other. It's also interesting uh, to see like you know obviously people know about celine's isms and so i you know as the director i'm always like sitting in the house with guests or to, you know noting the show and i'm always surprised by people who know the script of titanic the film really well because we do have a few iconic and less iconic lines woven in there and it's always interesting to hear people chuckle when they hear rose be like you know um you don't know me, which is not a memorable line from the movie, but people are locked into that script as well. Mm -hmm. Um, on a on a more serious note, I guess, um, you recently had a performance where you announced that you'd raised sixteen thousand five hundred sixty five dollars for the ACLU's Drag Defense Fund. So I'm hoping you can talk a little bit more about that partnership and sort of um what that fundraiser um was working towards and its connection to the show. Sure. Well. <laughs> I listen, I kind of cut my teeth with drag queens. I've drag has always been a part of what I've done. The first role I ever did in a professional show, I played a drag queen and then I did rent and, uh, you know, understudied a drag queen. And then I hosted drag shows for years and years. And every show that I've created, there's always like a, a draggy element in it. Um, and obviously we have it in Titanic. And so, in in light of all of the sort of legislative things and the the polarity that's happening um and the fact that you know people literally refer to our show as gay rights so i just there's there was something in my spirit that was like okay i'm very connected in the drag world we've got a, a theater available to us um and so i just rallied the girls and 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 packed a lineup into one of our off nights and and did a very elevated drag show had you know like five six seven drag race queens come several local incredible new york queens some of the titanic uh titanic cast members performed numbers as well so it was just like a community hodgepodge one night only thing and yeah you know we we raised over sixteen thousand dollars for the aclu drag defense fund which was um, kind of put into the spotlight by RuPaul and World of Wonder, you know, their their big push was to donate to that fund and having ties to that organization. I thought, you know, what, let me just do the same thing. So, yeah, it was it was a very special night, very touching and um, very, very uh, memorable. Amazing. Um, I've heard in a bunch of different interviews you each describe sort of the origin story of the show. So I thought rather than asking you to sort of re 
tell the story from your own perspectives if you could each tell the story as if you were the other person on so if ty if you want to start out from constantine's perspective as if you were constantine telling how the show got started in his brain and then once once you got involved constantine can take over uh from your point of view yeah good luck ty this is the Better. this is the Constantine Rasuli. Drag me, drag me through the depths of hell right now. <laughs> You're allowed. Oh my god, you guys! So like, I was doing shows in LA. I was broken, un- unemployed, and you know, working for like seventy five dollars a show, doing ratchet dinner theater. And I was with my friend Marla and some other friends after the show. And I was drinking Sauvignon Blanc, and I was like, just the spirit of Christ moved through me. And it was like, we're gonna do Titanic with all Celine Dion songs. And Marla, you're gonna play Celine, and I'm gonna play Jack. And Marla was like, I'll never do that. This will never happen. And I was like, yes, it is, bitch. And uh, and then two years go by and we do nothing. <laughs> and then Ty texted me and it was like, it's time to do the show. Boom. There you go. And I'm Ty Blue. And I'm like, you know what? I woke up. Trump was elected. I hate my life. I literally am like in a pile of drunken, hungover stupor. I want to kill myself. And I'm like, you know what? Oh, my God. Let me text Connie about that idea that he had <laughs> about Titanic. And... I called Connie and I was like, hey, um, we're going to do that, that idea. We're going to do it now. And then, and then Connie was like, all right, we'll come over and let's watch the movie. And I was like, okay, well, let's watch the movie. We called Marla and we, the three of us watched the movie and we're like, boom, no brainer. We're doing it. Everything works. And look at us now, bitch. <laughs> Incredible. Um, I don't know if either of you want to also, to honor Marla's memory, take on, <laughs> take on her part of the story. Oh, I'll gladly honor okay. her memory. You want me to what? Oh, wait, you want me to play Celine Dion? Absolutely not. Never going to happen. Nope. I was like saying, Connie was like, you're going to play Celine Dion. I said, over my dead body, I will never play Celine Dion. But good luck. Hope you win. Um, I think this project is never going to go anywhere. But sure, like, let's write it for fun. That's Marla. Beautiful. Um, Speaking of Celine Dion, I'm curious how the the catalog sort of found its way into each of the scenes uh, and what the process was like for sort of narrowing down the Celine Dion world uh, to make it fit with the story uh, and how you work together on that? Um, I guess I'll take that one. Uh, yeah. After my drunken stupor that night, uh, and it wasn't Savion Blanc, that was Marla's drink. Mine was a martini. I was two martinis deep. Um, so that night when I came up with this random ass idea, I went home and I did an outline. First of all, we're all huge Celine Dion stands, like absolutely. So I just, you know, for some reason, I just got her whole catalog out. And I remember just off the top of my head, I was like, I was outlining the movie of like the biggest parts that I remember. Like, I remember, you know, the beginning old lady Rose. I remember, you know, the like Rose taking her hat off, aborting the ship, them two together spitting off the boat, then then coming together, having a sex scene. Like, so I just like went through all the big moments of the movie that I remember without seeing the movie in years. And I was like, let me just see if what songs would go where, like, what would I think, you know, would happen with her catalog? And miraculously, it worked. It just worked. I called Ty and Marla and I was like, this actually kind of (laughs) works. I need you to come over tomorrow and like, let's watch the movie and see, you know, if these songs make sense. And we also like, we play a lot on um, like other musicals, like the beginning, I don't know if anybody realizes, but they probably don't. But like, I based that off of, like, we based it off of Aida. I, I, yeah, I 
I read like, that. On a museum, yeah. like, wait. Like, yeah, yeah. I totally got that. <laughs> great. You know, and then Beauty and the Beast, of course. And, yeah. like, we we add in a bunch of music. Like, I, you know, there's an underlying, like, we are raking other musicals over the coals. Um, so, yeah. Are you there? Sorry, my phone just started going off. Um, but, yeah. So then I, I, it just, it worked. I mean, just going through her songs and making sure that they sort of somewhat made sense to tell a story and they did. So, I, I, I mean, I guess that's, I don't know, Ty. That's honestly, that was one of the, the easiest parts. Like, yeah, that was easy. He like, he had a, he was like, this can go here, this can go here, this can go here, this can go here. And then we talked it through and we're like, yeah, this all works. Like it's, it's fun and nostalgic, but it also is about the plot of the film to a degree. And it just worked. I mean, over the, over the course of developing the show, you know, we had to, we lost a couple songs when we were clearing them. So we had to kind of move a couple things around and do a couple of substitutions, but because her catalog is so anthemic and so it's all about love. Every one of her songs is about love and this is simply a love story. So there's a lot of fluidity and, and, and how you can purpose her, these, these songs. Thank God. Yeah, it was, we we're really lucky. <laughs> <laughs> made sense we lost some bangers like it was there was yeah. some dark days there we lost some of the some of the biggest hits but we've made it work i think in terms of that clearance process sort of at what point in the in the creating process did you realize like okay now we are getting to the point where we're gonna actually have to talk to some people about how we can use these songs well when we started planning for off broadway you know we we signed a deal with eva price and uh when you're going into any commercial venture, that's when you have to, you know, begin to officially clearing the songs. Because before that, for years, we just performed the show as a concert and cabaret spaces. And, you know, we're kind of covered under their cabaret licenses for public performing. But then once it was like, no, we're selling tickets, we have a plot, we have lighting, we have costumes, then, you know, that began. And it, and it, it was a very long process. I think it took about a year to kind of get it all where we needed it to be. Yeah. I'm curious to hear from each of you. You can answer this as yourselves. Um, for for Ty, as the director, as a collaborator in the writing process, were you from the beginning sort of thinking about sort of the physical life in a different way than your collaborators as you were thinking about how you would stage it? And then for Constantine, were you thinking about your your own performance as you were writing the role? That's a that's a good question. Well, you have good questions. Um, yeah. Great question. I I will say that I always saw it as a Celine concert, you know, taking great inspiration from her brand, her level of you know couture, her storytelling, her visuals, and her shows, particularly her Caesar's Palace, you know, um, residency. So in my mind, as we were developing it, you know, the fantasy, the vision was always to kind of emulate Caesar's Palace in some way. Um, and I feel like we're still working toward that. <laughs> but I like I knew that I never wanted it to be anything that was like, I never wanted a real iceberg. I never wanted to crash a ship into an iceberg. I never wanted it to be super literal um, for a lot of reasons. Um, so I guess, did that answer your question? Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, go, that t piggybacking off of Ty, I think the, <clears throat> I mean, I, we always wanted this to be highbrow, lowbrow. <clears throat> and we've talked about this a lot, the, you know, us, the creatives. Um, I think, you know, 
having fun paper mache, you know, props and set pieces with like glamorous costumes and lighting and gorgeous sound really plays up the comedy and also plays up, oh my God, I'm, we're tiptoeing on this line that is so grounded yet so far and fun and, and parody and camp, but also hilarious. But then you're just, you're, you're towing that line. And I think towing that line is our, definitely our brand of comedy. So, you know, in order to have it come through, I think it definitely is like, you know, what Ty said, we can't have a real boat and we can't have, you know, it looking like we are on the Titanic. It's just like, it's a little too uh, real and, and you want people to use their imaginations. Uh, and I think that's what our show does. It really makes people think because we just have, you know, very few set pieces and very, not even, we have like one set piece and like, you know, very few props. So it's like you're using your imaginations, like old stagecraft. Um, and I think people really, you know, are drawn to that, which is fun. And then going back to your other question about me figuring out what I wanted to do with Jack. I mean, I think he just randomly like evolved. I, I wanted to put a lot of things that nobody has ever seen me do, like especially comedy wise, because I've always been cast as like the prince or the teen heartthrob, which is like so earnest and blah, blah, blah. So I wanted to kind of take that and spin it on its head and make him fun and lovable and kooky and you know, sort of aloof, but fun loving and yeah, you know, a mix of everything. In talking about the brand of comedy of the show that you just mentioned, I'm curious how you sort of settled on sort of the voice of the sense of humor of the show. It just with that just from knowing each other well and working together in the past, sort of the I mean, I wrote down as the example like the, the non sequiturs like Celine Dion thing, her favorite movie is Kung Fu Panda Two, just like that kind of like out of left field we're just going along for this ride and like anything could happen. Yeah. I mean, I think, I mean, Celine is such a, a kooky, fun, I mean, charismatic person, human and loving person that you're just like, wow, what is going on in her brain? Um, you know, as well as our brains, we're all insane. And we all, all just made, we truly made this to make each other laugh. So these are all of our, our stupid inside jokes that we've thrown into this that are smart that we've made work, but, it's funny to see how people are can relate to it because I, I can't tell you how many people come up to us and they're always like, you guys wrote this just for me. You wrote this just for me. So it's really cool to see, I don't know, us uh, tapping into new age humor and like bringing a fresh sense to uh, comedy, I guess, in, in, in musicals because you know, when you see the formula with all these musicals that are that have been out forever, they're all the, the same formula. So I feel like we're we've kind of flipped it on its head a little bit. Ty. Uh, yeah, same. Listen, I think that it's the, the the caveat of having her tell her version of the story because everyone embraces and loves how kind of wild she is as a storyteller um, and as a human being that set us up for success. Right. Yeah. And just leaning into that with sort of a revisionistic, definitely out of left field approach. It just feels right for, to her, I think. Um, but there's also like, listen, it, 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 we all left New York and went to, to LA and did some TV stuff and, and kind of adapted and learned more skills there. And, you know, in LA... In, in TV world, like things are written by teams, you know, yeah. there's not a lot of like, like there is in the theater where there's one playwright 
and it's just their ideas and just their vision and just their voice. And I think, you know, part of the strength of the book is that, you know, the three of us each bring sort of a, a different kind of lens and a skill set as writers, as comedians. Um, and it's it's the it's the packaging and the weaving together. Like, for example, Marla is so good at really weird, random things like Kung Fu Panda. Connie is Connie is really great with one-liners and setting up jokes that are evergreen and like have been there since day one. I'm more like structural, sure, overarching, yeah. you know, tone, grammar. <laughs> like we, I think that we bring, you know, we we bring different skill sets to writing. And I think that's part of the strength of the book. Yeah, I agree. The, de the definitely the, um, very well said, Ty. We were in LA and it's, you know, it's all these teams and all these TV shows and after for like seeing script after script after script of like comedies in LA, because, you know, we're going out for all these, these shows and, um, you see, you start picking up, you know, how they write, you know, and getting away from the typical musical theater of it all. And I think that's what really, really helped us. I hope you're enjoying this interview so far. I wanted to tell you about a nonprofit that I co-founded and run called Hear Your Song. Hear Your Song works with youth with serious illnesses and complex health needs, both mental and physical health diagnoses, to empower them to make their voices heard through songwriting. And much like this podcast, Hear Your Song is really focused on celebrating people's voices and people's stories. And it's all about making sure that kids who often don't have a lot of power and choice in their daily lives get as much creative autonomy in telling their story in the way they want to tell it through song. So if you would like to check out the work that we do at Hear Your Song, please visit hearyoursong.org, check out our YouTube channel, and dive into these incredible songs written by children and teens ages 6 to 18 about everything from loving pasta to what it's like to live with epilepsy. And if you're able to, please consider making a tax-exempt donation to support our work to help as many kids as possible make their voices heard through the arts. And now, back to the rest of this interview. I'm curious in terms of all of the references in the show, like I wrote my favorite, my favorite joke that made me laugh the most, both seeing it and reading it, um, was the she's gay, I mean, blind reference, which I assume most not maybe, maybe, I don't know what percentage of the audience knows what that was referring to. Um, yeah. But I, I was like, incredible. I got it immediately. Um, but I went with a friend. 15 people every night. Get yeah. That. yeah. <laughs> I went, yeah. I, I went with a friend who had to explain some of like the specific drag race references. And I had to explain to him the Patty Lapone equity reference. Um, so there is a sort of like the, maybe there are some people who get every single one and that's like the ideal sort of wavelength person. Um, I'm curious, did you give yourself any boundaries in terms of the cultural references that you're making or was it really just sort of whatever is in your brains collectively? I mean, I think the only, I always say, one of the best things that ever happened to us was that we we were like self-produced for a long time. And so as long as we thought it was funny, we would we would try it. And we did so many different pop-ups and revisions that we were constantly finessing. The only thing that like really I re ever remember being like, eh, you guys, we can't do that is something that I felt. Something I think Marla had put in that was like making 
it felt like it was making fun of Celine and something that she did on TV where she got very emotional. And I was like, I don't think we should do that. Like, what if what if she came to see it and felt disrespected? And so I, I'm only ever thinking about honoring and respecting her. We've done a few things to make sure that it's a whole love letter to her. But yeah. I don't know, Connie, is there anything that... Well, oh, the black dildo. Oh, um, God. Top, LOL. Yeah. We, we tried out, you know, there's an eggplant in the show. Um, and we brought, I mean, we were very, we went there. And it was this huge dildo. And people were like, ooh. And then by the by the second show of, of it, we were like, <laughs> what that? I was like, well, but how about we make it an eggplant? Everybody knows the eggplant emoji. And then it's like, yeah. it comes across great. <laughs> but um, yeah, no, we didn't have like, you know, at the time we didn't have anybody attached. So no producers, no one above us to be like, you need to rein this in. This is how you have to do it. Like we weren't bringing our shit to a team being like, hey, can you revise this or like look it over? We basically were like, we were the bosses. So we're like, okay, cool. We think this is funny. We're going to add it in and see what, see what happens. So it was a lot of like trial and error. But most of it was like super well received. Like we haven't changed the book that like much when you no. if you believe it or not. But it's it's wild to see that it has held up. I mean, we wrote this seven years ago, and it wow. still is fresh. And granted, we do update it because it is such a pop culture phenomenon that we have to add in. I think the the, the fun thing about our show is that we get to throw in all these new pop culture references. And especially in the show, Marla has this improv section where it's basically what's happening right now, present and current. So it definitely, um, that's what people also love about this, that it's so fresh. It's fresh every time you see it, you have no idea what's gonna happen um, to an extent. So I think that's really, really fun. Yeah, and I definitely recommend that people listening check out the TikTok of some of recent highlights from the, <laughs> the improv section. Um, oh yeah. I was watching last night the, the mm -hmm. Jellicle Cats, oh, cats. Gala. <laughs> and you know, I have, no idea, I have no idea what she's going right. to say, mind you. Like, we're just literally that we're all so close that I know her. I know exactly what she's going to say at every moment, which is so <laughs> kind of weird. We're all embedded into each other. He, he, he. <laughs> um, speaking of that, I'd love to learn more just sort of like what your collaborative process was like. I mean, I, I know from various interviews that you the show was written initially incredibly quickly um the sort of what your collaborative roles are like you've talked a little bit about sort of which aspects of the show you each focus on but sort of uh what what's your actual sort of like communication process in creating the piece i sort of imagine you just like frantically texting each other all the time like different things that come into your brain and then just sort of storyboarding them all and it's falling yeah. in place what was sort of yeah. Was I mean, it started, we literally put his outline into a Google Doc mm -hmm. that we were all shared on. And like, we assigned certain chunks of it to each, to ourselves. Yeah. And we each were responsible for like dra doing a draft of that chunk of the show. And then we would just go back and we just kept going through that document, you know, just simultaneously putting comments, putting yeah. suggestions. It was literally like the easiest, most collaborative, like maybe this, I don't understand that's too inside, you know? Um, and of course we have like an unhinged text thread. <laughs> uh, yeah, the three of us have an unhinged text thread, which I love. 
You should um, release that as like a book that can be. <laughs> nope. No. no one ever wants to see that. Nope. Highly um, edited. <laughs> highly edited. Um, nope. Yeah, no, we all took sections. Like Ty took the beginning, I took the middle, Marlo took the end. And then every Monday, everybody would come over to my bougie ass apartment when I had it in LA. We'll never nice. see that. Um, which had a movie theater in it. So we would literally watch the movie and then go and work in downstairs in this like communal area. It's like workspace. Um, and we would all meet every Monday and just go over, be like, is this funny? Do you think this is funny? Do we like this? Okay, cool. Let's, let's give us, let's give ourselves another two weeks. We'll finish it. And then let's bring in friends to read it in the office and just to read it out loud. And then like, that's how it just happened. We just continued. And I just think the more, the more times we did it and the more times we would put it on its feet, we would learn so much. So the fact that we did have seven years to perfect the script and granted it's still changing and evolving and i i think the next production whatever that may be is probably gonna you know we're gonna find things that we didn't like here and we're gonna be like great let's throw it in to whatever production comes next who knows and uh that's what i think is fun about it i don't think it's ever set in stone it's it's an evolving amoeba so it's it's fun yeah Ty, I, at the beginning of the interview, you described the show as hyper-queer, and I'm curious whether you feel like you extracted any queerness from the film itself, or do you feel like that was sort of imposed by you on, on the story, or do you feel like there are elements of the film that sort of lent themselves naturally to that lens? Um, no, I don't. We it, 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 No, it was just us taking... I'm a a a pride rainbow flag and waving it over the scenes that we wrote there was no i don't the the film doesn't strike me as like being very queer there was a queer jump off point i mean celine dion herself is a queer icon yeah of course so like i just think it just lends itself to that plus we're all queer so (laughs) i was like we're just writing in our in our you know in our words And and it used to be more gay believe it or not yeah it, it used to be like the, more explicitly like gay. And then we kind of toned that back, believe it or not, to 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 create more space to deliver the actual tones of the of the actual love story, if that makes sense. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like Cal used to have a lot of like really gay, more gay stuff than he did. And we were like, well, let's let's tame that down so that it actually feels like he wants to marry her and, you know. Jack yeah, to have some references as well. And we're like, no, let's yeah. just like, actually deliver the movie a little bit. So we actually edited ourselves, believe it or not. <laughs> I know we did. I think it was, yeah, it's the, when you give too much of one thing, it's just like so redundant and it's the same thing over again. We're like, okay, we need to, you know, have a little bit more of the, the yin and yang instead of it like joke, 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 here, 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 the whole same one line or else it's just like not exciting. So yeah. We got to give you some earnest moments, babe. Yeah, in a real story. Yeah, because it in is. Terms, yeah, in terms of creating the character of Celine, and I guess you can answer for Marla if this is more of a Marla question. Um, I mean, I felt just that rather than just being like a couple mm-hmm. of mannerisms, it was really sort of this like archival sense of sort of a comp- the the reason that the the impression sort of deepens beyond that is like you have the sense of you've all seen her, she's seen sort of like every possible moment of Celine Dion's interactions with fans in every concert. I I looked up the Who Let Your Dogs Out DVD cut <laughs> right before this, so I now get what that's referencing. Um, 
sort of what kind of depth of of research did you all do into her and and in terms of like creating her or did you just sort of have that already oh we definitely we went in i mean i went in I, we all went in we made marla go in even more and she marla was like yeah i think i really need to watch a bunch of her interviews just so i can really understand her mannerisms and her accent and once marla i mean marla's a genius so once she took you know an hour to really get in there and then just continue like her whole thread on I've seen it on her, on her phone is Celine Dion on Instagram. It's nonstop. It's like Celine interviews, Celine, 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 Celine. So, um, yeah, we're all, I mean, huge Celine fans. Yeah. It's also, you know, like we used to just do it every few months. We would do one concert, you know, pop up day of close up shop and then do another one like three, four months later. So we never really got into a, a rhythm uh, or, or or had the time to curate a really specific tone. But when we finally came to New York and had a full rehearsal process, for, for me, it was magical to kind of see Marla really put a very, have, get, get the benefit of a real process and be afforded the time to start laying a real foundation for a real human being uh, to be up there rather than just a total parody, you know, she's, she's, she's grounded her in a really lovely way. In terms of grounding the whole story, which is obviously based on a real life tragedy. I'm, I'm curious sort of what, like the final, my heart will go on is, is described as like in memory of that, the victims of the Titanic, sort of how much did you think about that? For me, having seen the show right after seeing the movie, I was still remembering constantly the scene with the bodies in the water and was like thinking about that while watching your show. Um, so it was sort of this like, I think that the sort of tragedy of the story was more present for me than most audiences since I had like just watched it. I'm curious mm -hmm. how much you thought about that continuing to watch the film as you made the show and mm -hmm. sort of where, how you, how you sort of handled that balance or if mm -hmm. you feel you intended you to. Well, we correct me if I'm wrong, Connie, but we had we kind of moved that song around a couple of times. We did into because we knew like everyone was waiting <laughs> for that moment, and I I don't remember what it used to be, but I I know we it took us a little while to settle on that placement and that length of the number, um, and I think I think it's in the right place, oh, yeah. and uh, you know just to speak on the like sort of the earnestness, the groundedness of the way that song is used. You know, I, I, in my mind, I, I think that we always want to honor the movie. We want to honor the, the legacy. We want to honor her brand. You know, we want to honor all of it. Right. And we've, we've spent at that point, like 85 minutes forcing people into extreme laughter, just cutting them wide open, you know, with, with joy. And, um, you know, I have a mission with this show. I ha I want people to not just laugh. I want them to be elevated. I want them to feel nostalgia on nostalgia. I want them to elevate their vibration up and outward as they leave the theater. And so there's like a, there's kind of a math to it. You know, we've gotten them very vulnerable in that up until that point. And they're expecting us to do something funny with it. 
And when we don't do something funny with it, what happens is what you just said, the nostalgia from the movie comes rushing through them. And they think about that first time they saw the movie because we're doing this song in such a still cinematic way that it, it creates space for the imagination to go wild. And so they just they get flooded with memories and like their first love and who their Jack is to them or who their Rose is, you know. There's a lot, it, 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 people actually get deeply emotional during that moment. And, and that's part of the magic. That's part of the math of it all. Yeah. It's yeah. What he said. <laughs> <laughs> Do either of you have moments from the movie that you especially love that aren't paid tribute to in the show? Good question. I feel well, like we, there, um, yeah, though, I mean, I've always, Ty and I have talked about this a million times, <clears throat> and hopefully with a bigger budget, we could get this. Um, I've always, I always miss the iconic Rose hat when she comes out and you just see her tip up. And I, that is, to me, I feel like it's such, so easy. We can totally do that. Um, and I hopefully will add that in. But yeah, that's my, that's, that's one that I always miss. It's like a nod because it's so iconic. Yeah. And it's so easy. We can totally do that and make fun of it. <laughs> uh, um, I would say the most vivid moment from the movie that I can remember when I first watched it because of the people I was with and the environment and the, the weirdness of the relationships of the people I was with at the time. I'll never forget the scene of the old, the elderly couple holding each other in bed as it goes down that just like broke my whole spirit when i saw the movie um and we do not do that because i'm yeah. we're not trying to break people's spirits but yeah that's that's one thing that i comes to mind my last question is uh about the tystanics um the fans who keep coming back and back to the show uh i'm curious sort of what your experience of that has been has that been surprising sort of the reasons why they're so responsive to it and um yeah just would love to hear more about your engagement with with the most diehard fans connie probably has more engagement with them because they harass him and come up to him after the show <laughs> yeah they do but you know what i i'm so happy i love it so much it is to see people first first of all to, to have something that you've created and then get a chance to perform it every single day let alone get produced is wild. And then to have audience members be so touched by it and so like overly thrilled that they have to come back over and over and over again is mind boggling to me. It is, you know, we're doing something right. I feel like we have done something right by giving people laughter. We, we made this out of pure joy and and love for our, our fellow peers and ourselves to just make each other laugh. And like, it's just, it's a bigger message of, of just spreading love and joy. So I feel like it's so incredible. I am so humbled. I am so grateful and appreciative that, the, that everybody keeps coming back and they, they bring their, their people and they bring their family members out of town, the tourists, like, and they just watch their faces. They want to see what their, their reaction is. So I think that's just really exciting. And yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's crazy. Well, congratulations to both of you for creating an empire <laughs> from this idea. <laughs> I and, hope you're right. <laughs> um, and thank World you so domination. much.
<clears throat> thank you so much for joining me on the show. Thank Thanks, you. Thanks, Dan, and good luck with the podcast. Yeah. yeah, good luck. Thanks for having us. Thanks so much for listening to the Present Stage Conversations with Theatre Writers. We have new episodes streaming every Friday wherever you listen to podcasts. And if you like what you hear, please consider leaving us a review, giving us five-star rating wherever you stream podcasts, and please share with friends. Let people know that these conversations are happening and that they should be listening to. And if you want to learn more about the work that Hear Your Song does to empower youth with serious illnesses to make their voices heard through songwriting, please visit www.hearyoursong.org.